The Gist is brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine, offering luxury wine at affordable prices. To get free shipping and a free sommelier corkscrew on your first order of three or more bottles, go to chwine.com and enter the promo code GIST at checkout. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, April 28th, 2016 from Slate. It's the Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Cruz has chosen Carly Fiorina as his running mate. In other news, Vin Diesel has picked out the shelf he wants to put his Oscar on. And I have selected racing green for the color of my Ferrari Testarossa. I don't know if Ferrari Testarossas, A, come in racing green, are still made. It just seems the sort of hypothetical, imaginary thing that likens itself to Cruz picking a running mate when he will not need to have a running mate. This is a weird thing, because even though the running mate is imaginary, it also shows his lack of imagination. Let's see, who's going to catch fire with the American electorate? Well, it really could be anyone. I mean, the only people we can rule out are the 15 other people who've already run for president and lost on the Republican side. Yeah, let's go with one of them. Of course, in real life, not imaginary life, an actual politician with actual prospects, like, say, Nikki Haley, would never agree to be Cruz's imaginary running mate. So it all works out in the end. The Cruz campaign isn't the only thing that has died recently. There's also Les Wass. Les Wass was less known for his advertising acumen than for one thing, this thing. He was the man who came up with the Mr. Softy jingle. And I don't, I, I know I made a little pun, but Les Wass was apparently quite the genius advertiser, but this Mr. Softy jingle will live on. And you know it was beloved. And the reason you know it's a good jingle is that Les Wass lived to be 94 years old and people liked Les Wass. Whereas if the name of the guy who composed the 1877 Cars for Kids jingle was ever put out there, he would immediately be dragged from his automobile and beaten to death by an angry mob. But then, afterwards, what would we do with the empty car? 1877 Cars for Kids. K-A-R-S Cars. On the show today, we don't do this, but you're going to hear this coming up. I'm Faith Saley, and my dad thinks I'm famous. And I spiel about dirty politicians. But first, you might know her from such shows as Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and CBS Sunday Morning. Or maybe you're under the age of 60. But she has a great new memoir out. She's, I think we're becoming friends. Judge for yourself. It's Faith Saley. For years, Faith Saley was one of these people always in my orbit. She hosted a show at the public radio station I worked at, WNYC, that was called Fair Game with Faith Saley. She was the titular Faith Saley back then, but I never met her. She was like in a building down the street, and then she was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. At times, I was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but I never met her. And then one day in a green room, we met, and we hit it off. And I knew one day she'd pen a tell-all memoir, which made me a little bit uncomfortable about aspects of her sex life. But she is here. The book is called Approval Junkie, Adventures in Caring Too Much. Hello, Faith. Hi. That means you really read it. Thank you. Well, it's not like you hide (laughs) it in chapter like two or three or four. (laughs) There's only like one chapter that even touches on sex, I think. Well, your first husband, called the Wasbin, had sexually charged nicknames for you that you liked. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. that's true, yeah. And then there's the peeing on stuff. Oh, I, you're, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Out of all the um, interviews I've done so far, you're yeah. the first to bring it up. It wasn't just the guy who enjoyed a good pissing, right? And you point out so that, that he didn't say So that happened once, everybody. Sa- well, 
Yeah. But there was, what was the other, there was this another strange so gentleman. This is like no foreplay interview. <laughs> this is like get right to yeah. that. This is like Howard Stern time. Yeah. yeah. So super. <laughs> Howard Stern from 1985. Super. All right. So let's talk about the radio stuff. First, I want to talk about Fair Game with Faith Saley. And this, and who better to ask than Faith Saley? I like this show. I thought Thanks. it had a lot of potential and it tried to be... Uh, sort of a daily show, but I don't know if you had the resources for it. Did you find a difference between how men and how women who you interviewed reacted to you? I think that men warmed up more quickly. That's what I think, too. Yeah. I remember thinking this. There were some women who, especially younger women, who really liked it and really vibed off you. Oh, you mean as an audience? No, no. I oh, mean, you the mean people you interview, were interviewing, yeah. interview subjects. Some, some, especially younger women, really liked it. You know, two questions in. They're like, oh, this, this person gets it. I can really talk to her. And I think some of the men were paternal. But then eventually, you know, you also booked, you know, people like Al Franken. And you also booked... Learned, oh, yeah. learned people who President Carter right, Lauren who Michaels, weren't going to be was... stupid and they weren't you know going to display their sexism but I felt some of the older women just I guess I don't know weren't impressed that this youngish woman was hosting an NPR show like I think I don't want to get it wrong but I think I remember a Lily Tomlin interview where she was just having none of it was I, it Lily Tomlin I can't remember no, if it was Lily Tomlin I yeah. remember that Elizabeth Edwards did not <laughs> cotton to Yes, me. there were a couple of them. And I'm sure there were many more examples like that, but I will tell you that there was, early on, when the show started airing, there was a focus group. Yeah. And I don't know if you have ever had the experience of sitting, you know, so the focus group rooms, people go in there, and then it's like law and order, right? I'm on the other side. Because I was a producer on the show, too, Yeah. I, and because I'm an, an approval junkie, yeah. I thought it would be a good idea That's to bad. sit on the other side. I saw Marsha Clark do that in the recent OJ series. <laughs> it's not good. But wait, were they focus grouping her? Yes, and her oh. hair and her looks, and it was very hurtful. I did that. Yeah. Well, she seems like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she acts like everybody's stupid. And she's strident. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be her boyfriend. It, basically, you could say that none of the women over 30 yeah. enjoyed me. Did anyone and all say, the other men in the focus group were like, I think she's great. Yeah. Did anyone say anything about your voice? That was um, a learning curve. Yeah. I had like a voice that I put on, I think out of nervousness. Maybe it was like almost a little cute or something when I started. And the executive producer of the show, a woman named Carrie Hillman, kept telling me just... I mean, sometimes it's as simple as talk lower. Just trust yourself. I think I was just nervous and trying too hard. Yeah, no, that 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 happens. And yeah, you're pushing. You're okay. The the word approval is right there. You're pushing everything forward. You so badly want to be liked. You hype up the energy. It's sort of like you know a dating situation or any yeah, social yeah. situation where you really want to be liked and you're all hyped and an audience reacts much better when you pull it back a little and when they come to you a little. Especially in radio. Right? Oh, yeah, especially so in intimate. public radio. Oh, yeah. Where they don't want that much energy in your face. Uh, that was eight years ago yeah. that it went off the air and people still... I was at a book signing last night and this man came up to me and he said, I think Fair Game was the best regular sh radio show I've ever heard. Right, because there were all these experiments at the time with NPR. Was, like, podcasting was new. On the one hand, let's create a show that's different from NPR. But different. then when it's on the air, they're like, oh, this is different from NPR. And that becomes well, a problem. Here's a great example. PRI, who produced the show... Basically, I think they decided to can it when we had a joke. Mike Huckabee yeah. was this. So this was in 2007. It was the beginning of 2008 when the primaries were starting. And Mike Huckabee was then a viable 
sure. uh, candidate. Went on can to remember win the Iowa caucuses. So the writers made, they did this really funny commercial for Mike Huckabee where it was Mike Huckabee family recipes. And one of the recipes, was that also back when he was very large? Well, no, or did he, had, he, lose he had weight written weight? a book called Digging a Grave with a Knife and Fork, and he was like an anti-obesity campaigner at that point. Even in 2008, okay. That, that was his an, brand then. You have an encyclopedic Since mind. Since then, he's, he's actually he's put gone up on. a couple jacket sizes. So they did Huckabee Family Recipes, and one of them was for bar- barbecued Eucharist. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I made some kind of joke at the end. I said something about, oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, Mike Huckabee is a Protestant. He doesn't believe in transubstantiation or something like that was yeah. my big zinger tag. Yeah, I like the transubstantiation joke. Yeah. Wait, thank you. I yeah. mean, that's a chestnut, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this fat, can I say the F word on this show? There are so many F words. I don't know what you're going to say, but the answer is yes to all of this them. This fat fuck named. Shit, not fat. You can't say that. No, sorry, go ahead. Named, um, what's his name? Bill Donahue or something mm-hmm. who runs the Catholic League. I mean, yeah. this is. He has a face him? like a ham. Yeah. Yeah. No, he I, I think not, there's like two members and he runs it from his laptop. That's right. He has no, he has there's no nothing, affiliation there's no with the Catholic League. Church except no. he gets mad at everything he that attention, he perceives as anti Catholic. Right. Yes. So he went nuts and PRI. They called a big conference and they had me apologize on air. And yeah. by the way, I'm Catholic. Yeah. Or was raised Catholic. Right. Like, and by the way, the you Jesus were a host I making be- a joke about the host. <laughs> that is, to- I mean, if anything That's is meta. in the wheelhouse. Yeah. So they, they came from a place of fear and they were yeah, always worried yeah, about yeah. ratings and they, d- and they didn't let it grow. Yeah. Um, and I will always regret, I gave a, a half-assed apology. And I now in retrospect, I regret even giving that considering how soon they canceled the show after that. So Fair Game, it ha- well, it, I have a very, I have wistfulness about it. And, and there's a chapter in the book about what I learned by doing that show, yeah. because it's when I learned to interview and listen, because up till then, all I wanted to be was an actor. And all I wanted was the spotlight on me. And everything changed when I got to to sit in a chair and listen to other people and not have the spotlight on me. Beyond just putting yourself on the radar of public radio and getting on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, do you think the skills, the listening skills have helped you on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? Yeah. Anybody who has any kind of background in improv knows that listening to the the, the, pe- the funny people around you, you have to do that, right? I mean, the, the people on Wait, Wait, most of them are so funny that you can just listen and laugh. Yeah. Or you can listen. You know, there's two, there's two kinds of comedy. I think, particularly on that show. There's inclusive and exclusive. And there are comedians, when I'm booked on the show with with certain panelists, I'm all excited. Because I yeah. like if I'm booked on the show with Luke Burbank or Adam Felber, it's going to be a good time. A good time will be had by all. Yes. Like, they like to tag each other. They yes. like It feels like we're part of an improv troupe in college. Mm-hmm. And they're very generous. If you're doing something funny, they're laughing at it. Yeah. And Adam is the most gentlemanly. Like, if he if you say a joke and... And he thinks he might have interrupted. He's like, I'm so sorry I stepped yep. in your joke. Yep. Then there's like Paula Poundstone, who is an inimitable comic genius. And I don't even want to like, I just want to listen to her like every all the other fans do. Right. Because her comedy is not even, it's it comes out of her own internal ceaseless rant, right? Yeah. And she's so... And it might have the, just the barest, the barest relationship to the issue at hand. Right, so I can't jump in on That's that. Right. It, this is, she's, not, she's not like the leader of the improv troupe. She's right. a stand-up comedian who's unbelievably brilliant. There are different kinds of panelists. And, and, and you know, as a listener, too, you know a show. Oh, Tom Bodet, like yes. team player, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, or Bobcat Goldthwait. Like, uh, he's... Bobcat's the grid. And he, the nicest and the sweetest. The, the everythingest. So what do you think that your role is on Wait, Wait? I know what the answer is. 
I've talked about this with oh, these guys. What? You're a facilitator. You are, oh. to use a sports analogy. Wait a second. Hold on. We yeah. got to press pause. You've talked about this. Have they actually said to you, what do you think Faith Saylor brings to the table? What I do is I always <laughs> Are you talk, a consultant to the show? I go in and we talk about different... I, I The first time I did it, I was a little bit just trying to figure out the rhythms of the show. And then I try to figure out how the show works and what their thinking is. And I talk to Mike and Ian who run the show about different combinations of guests and what are the good <gasps> ones and what are the bad ones. Oh, I'm ones. nervous now. And I don't know that they have bad ones per se, but they say that Faith is really good because you could put her with anyone and she just ups the quotient, right? So her contribution like, may I, not I, be boom the zinger, mm. but everyone else's zingers get better and her zingers, everyone has to have funny jokes on that. I'm show. like the clutch in a menage a trois, right? Just, <laughs> she's know. not going to offend anybody. She's going to please thinking, everybody. I was thinking of the pass first point guard in basketball, if I you get this analogy. I don't, but I love Well, a point guard could either it. shoot, want the points, or he could give out assists and make everyone else around him better. And so you're more the pass-first kind of panelist. Oh. I think they see you. And by the way, there are plenty of times where I think, oh, I really did have a zinger. It just doesn't make it into editing, you know? Okay, but the weird thing about that is, so if people don't know, the show tapes for like about an hour and a half. At least. Yeah. And then what airs winds up being after all Less the uh, commercials hour. and stuff. Right. So some of the stuff that goes is not good. Oh, Every once in right. a while. Some of the stuff that goes is really it's good fantastic. and possibly better than the stuff that that airs, yeah. it's just that the, it, it may be some really long runner, right? Yep. It may be a long setup. It may be that the same person had three great jokes in one segment, you know? So you got it. There's a lot of consideration. Right. The first couple times I did it, I'm like, oh, so, so much good stuff was put on the cutting room floor. But you do live comedy, right? You do, you yeah. have, you do stand up. Do you play audiences that big? When no, you were doing? no, right. I haven't done stand-up in years, but right. no, I so mean, we're talking 3,000 people yeah, are in the we're audience. we're getting huge laughs from 3,000 people, and even if the, whatever, 5 million don't hear it, that's something. That's not nothing. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is, and it makes going to the live show that much more special. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I like the fact that great stuff gets, gets left out. I, yeah. Yeah, and right then there. if I win at the end, I always get a text from my father. So before every show, my oh, father texts me. About oh, yeah. He texts me. You care about course, winning. Of course. And this is where the he, approval no, this is what is he born. texts me. Before yes. the show, he texts me, do honor to the family name. Okay. And then after the show, I let him know. And if I won, he writes, you can come home now. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot at stake. And he's like 80% not kidding, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, as far as approval junkie, junkie is bad, but seeking approval is something that I think societally we're at the point where, like, we're supposed to say, oh, I don't care what other people think. A, bullshit. B, that's called being a psychopath, if you don't care what other people think. That's right. Yeah. So what's the balance? What have you learned or what have you, what insight have you gotten at to, as to the right balance between wanting a good amount of approval and being a approval junkie? I learned that... It's not healthy to stay married to someone who thinks you should have an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like and one What do you extreme. mean by that, by the way? I think you're using really... it as an analogy. No. Yeah. I have a chapter in the book called Exorcism where I did sort of have one of sorts, and that was more yeah. analogous. But he, he, I walked into his home office one day where his screensaver had going across it, I will always win in yeah. all caps. And he was sitting on uh, his like Barca lounger that had the Latrell Sprewell. You'll appreciate this detail. He had a Latrell Sprewell jersey. Yeah. He dressed it in that. Right. And he said, you know, I saw, and this was a time, we were soon after we got married, and I was really depressed. I was really, really, really depressed. And uh, he said, I saw this like documentary thing on CNN and they were doing an exorcism. And I was wondering if maybe you can, cons- would you ever consider having one? And, and I, 
thought, I mean, I looked at him and I thought he was about to laugh. And I, so I was trying not to laugh. I went and I realized he was serious. Mm-hmm. And I decided to remain serious and to demonstrate in that moment. This is how depressed and like also like crazy in love with him I was. Yeah. N- crazy in a bad way, yeah. not crazy in a good way. I thought, I'm going to impress him. I wasn't signing up right then and there to have an exorcism, but I thought I'm going to impress him with my open-mindedness about how much I need to purge my demons. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I also felt like, wow, isn't that nice that he's attributing my unhappiness to something otherworldly that's residing inside me? Yeah, exactly. It's not not my fault. We just need to get this out of me. You can't blame him, Faith. The power of Christ compels him. (laughs) So anyway, so what I've learned is... Look, I, I, I do, I do think I seek and enjoy approval much more than the average person. Like, you know, like if I go get to give blood, and the nurse is like, "You have juicy veins." I just, you know, I kind of walk on air out of there. But I also have realized that I've learned to be less wanton in how I seek it. Right, so. I seek the approval from the people I work with because I think they're really, really smart. So on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, do I love being asked back? Yeah, I think yeah. it's a, it, I was a fan of that show before I was on it. I think the people around me are amazing. If they laugh at my jokes, I feel great. I'm on CBS Sunday morning. I watched that show when I was a kid. And when I got to be on it, I, I mean, I, I still pinch myself. I've now been on it like seven years. Do I love it when the executive producer sends me an email that says, you know, that was a great commentary, a great story? Yes, because he's so smart. Do you think, though, you've actually tamped down your need for approval or you yes. let your... Okay, or because I was thinking that there's a way that you could work it where you're at the outward manifestations, you know, just aren't so apparent to others, but you still you still feel it. I, look, I, I love approval, but I re- I'm already part of a career where I'm surrounded by people I, who inspire me and I respect so it doesn't feel unhealthy to seek their approval. I seek it from myself a lot, but I've let some things fall away. I used to seek it from myself for everything. Everything had to be A+. And I'm okay now if I eat chocolate after 7 p.m. Like, I don't have to weigh 100 pounds, for example. And I'm okay. And once you have kids, you have to let things get fuzzy around the edges. Is You know, I live in New York City in a, in a two-bedroom apartment with two kids. It's not big. We don't have a washer-dryer. Are things going to be messy and dirty? Yeah. I've gotten way more comfortable with entropy. Yeah. Don't you think a lot of this is just aging? I, I just, yeah. I just uh, attribute so much of that, like just calming down to the fact that we've lived a little, we probably have fewer crazy hormones bouncing around inside of us saying, go, 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 go. We've seen enough. We're comfortable knowing that like we're not going to starve. We've achieved some success. Yeah. So maybe like at the beginning of a career, your definition of success was being as successful as the great stand-ups that were doing stand-up at the time. Right. And now it's like- Working tirelessly. Yeah, Tig Notaro's good at that. She should do that. What you should do yes. is this different niche. Yes, yes. That's yeah. that's a- vi- Yes. I've, I've figured out what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, and early on in one's career, it, it's so much easier to model yourself after people who, that's why you got into Especially if you're a performer. Yeah. And those are really, those are really, it's really hard to do that. And it's really hard to do that in there, in that way. Luckily, I was the, doing, I was doing stand up beside Sil- Sarah Silverman and Chelsea Handler yeah. and Tig Notaro, yeah. about, you know, 17 years ago yeah. and 16 years ago. And I kept trying and trying and I just wasn't as good as they were. Right. I wasn't horrible, I, but I was nowhere near as good as they were. And I had to, f- but with something like comedy, you can't just make yourself funnier by trying harder. 
So life had to sort of lead me in this direction, and it was very itinerant, and it came through, like, hosting a public radio show. Who knew? And then I figured out who I'm supposed to be and what I'm good at. Faith Saley is the author of Approval Junkie, Adventures in Caring Too Much. Thank you so much, Faith. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cameron Hughes is the kind of guy who goes into a vineyard, you know, that's the place where they make wine, and and says, this is good wine. Why aren't you selling it? And the vineyard might say, well, you know, we blend it together. Well, we sell enough of it. And Cameron Hughes says this, you know what? Give some of that to me. We won't put your label on it, but I'll sell it out there. It'll be just as good as your wine. And that's what that guy has done. Cameron Hughes buys the wine and sells it directly to you so that you can drink that wine for about 25 bucks. For a bottle that would elsewhere sell, for about 100 bucks. We're talking 40 to 80% off less than what you'd pay for the regular labeled price. Wines that rate over 90 in Wine Spectator cost 155 bucks a bottle. He's selling them, same quality wine, for 30 bucks a bottle. It's great wine that he figured out a market inefficiency on, and he's giving it to you. Luxury wine at affordable prices, made all the more affordable by this deal. If it's your first order, you're a just listener, and you buy three or more bottles, free shipping. Also, a free corkscrew. But it's really the free shipping that's really important. Wine costs a lot of money to ship. 40 to 80% off of the wine, plus the free shipping, plus the free corkscrew. Go to chwine.com, shop for your wine, and enter the code GIST at checkout. That's chwine.com, promo code GIST, for free shipping and a free sommelier corkscrew on your first order. And now the spiel, where was Blas? A dirty politician is like a woman on the beach with a loose bikini top. You can opt for the cover-up, but in the long run, you'll probably wind up undone and exposed. Politicians have stolen. Politicians have bribed, been bribed. Politicians have murdered. Well, that was back in the days when dueling was illegal, but still countenanced. And politicians have philandered. One time, this almost destroyed the presidency. Other times, it was simply a great source of entertainment, as when the then chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Wilbur Mills, was found intoxicated with the stripper Fanny Fox. Soon he was made to do an impromptu interview with some aggressive reporters in Boston as Miss Fox stood by in her burlesque house dressing room. All I'm trying to do is to launch a career. Don't you think this looks bad for you personally as a married uh, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, though? My wife's in on it. Okay. Oh, we gotta go. He did indeed leave office soon thereafter. In Virginia, the governor was chased from office for accepting gifts and favors and trips largely on behalf of his wife. But yesterday, the Supreme Court heard the case of Bob McDonnell and the august justices who espouse that they hold no political beliefs essentially asked, well, isn't that all just politics? Court observers think McDonnell has a good chance of having his conviction voided. But there was another political scandal to be reckoned with or a scandal involving a politician. This one was no fun. In fact, I would say, the deeds of this politician are the worst, the absolute worst that I have ever heard of. And the position that this politician held was the highest of anyone who was found guilty of such a serious felony. The crimes weren't technical, they weren't hard to parse, they were immediate and visceral. 
According to the document, one unnamed student, quote, recalled that defendant put a lazy boy type chair in direct view of the shower stalls in the locker room where he sat while the boy showered. And yet I get the sense that we today are less scandalized by what Hastert did than we are by so many less evil acts. I have a few theories why. Hastert's old. The actions were long ago. The abuse predated his time in office, though not the cover-up. There's not much partisan hay to be made over these acts. But mostly, it's because when we're confronted with such disturbing behavior, we just want to turn away. Whereas some of us at least thrill to a modern scandal like Benghazi, and most of us snicker to some degree when an egotist like John Edwards is laid low, or when the current Alabama governor, Robert Bentley, is exposed to have been a horn dog, at least verbally. I have never had a physical affair with Mrs. Mason. For Dennis Hastert, things are different. He molested boys. He paid them to be quiet about it. He was the third highest ranking official in the federal government. He was Speaker of the House, and he got 15 months in jail. The prosecutor actually asked for only six months. The judge thought that was a little too lenient. 15 months. Now here in NYC, we're experiencing the burbling up of a scandal. Mayor Bill de Blasio's top aides have been subpoenaed in a fundraising probe being investigated by state and federal officials. The tabloids have had a great time. The more restrained of the two, the Daily News today ran with City Paul. Alex probe investigators served subpoenas on mayor's inner circle. Before that, they had Bull de Blasio. Before that, crime time for Blas. And then the rebuttal. It's slime, not crime. The New York Times was on this story, story after story in its pages. But though this was roiling NYC, it wasn't exactly burning up the airwaves of my local public radio station, WNYC. The WNYC newscast this morning, when I first woke up, had three stories, the last of which was the death of Mr. Softy. Nothing about de Blasio. The next hour of the newscast had this story. Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz has named Carly Fiorina as his running mate. And this story. Law enforcement officials conducted what they're calling the largest gang takedown in city history. And this New York one. Knicks organization has interviewed former Cleveland Cavaliers coach. But nothing about de Blasio. Now, later in the day, when it was clear that this was a big deal, WNYC did begin covering it. But I've been monitoring this pretty closely. And I've been noticing as a WNYC listener that I wasn't hearing news of this story on WNYC much at all. The estimable Brian Lair show, which I've hosted, which as host, I once interviewed Bill de Blasio on when he was public advocate, but there were hardly any mentions of this in recent weeks on WNYC News. Let me contrast it with the New York Times. April 27th, City Hall officials subpoenaed. April 27th, report on de Blasio election spending full of details and holes. Day before that, de Blasio denying misdeeds again. Day before that, lawyer for fundraisers tied to de Blasio fire back at elections board. I won't read you all of them. It was basically every day, and they go as far back as, let's say, April 14th, de Blasio plays down contact with two men at heart of corruption case. April 11th, federal prosecutors cast a wider net in New York City Hall inquiry. As far back as April 9th, de Blasio's campaign fundraising scrutinized. I found a couple of reports on WNYC at WNYC.org. The first one, April 14th, report FBI investigating businessmen with ties to de Blasio, and more reports on The Brian Lair Show. But it just seems that this was barely covered at all. And then I contrasted it with WNYC's coverage of the Chris Christie Bridgegate scandal. 
From December 1st, when Matt Katz of WNYC asked Christie a question in a press conference, and we got Christie sarcastically denies involvement in GW bridge traffic. Then a report on December 5th, a report on December 8th, another report on December 8th, aberrant and illegal lane ploy by Christie, a report on December 11th, a report on December 12th, a report on December 15th. They covered Christie like, well, like I think they should have covered Christie, day in, day out, hard coverage. They just haven't been doing much on Bill de Blasio. We'll see where the news takes us. I know you're saying it's just one station, but it is WNYC. It is the station I listen to. And importantly, I know people who work at that station listen to this. I guess you could say I'm being a media watchdog, a press critic, and some guy who, when he turns on the radio, would like to hear the most important news about the scandal that could take down his mayor. That's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi never had a physical affair with the old Maury Povich show, A Current Affair. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, never had a physical copy of Physical Graffiti. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, had a somewhat metaphysical relationship with the Olivia Newton-John song, Let's Get Physical. The gist, where we put together 22 or so minutes of programming with the sole purpose of erasing that Cars for Kids jingle from your mind. Oh no, it's there again. Oomperu dapperu dooperu, and thanks for listening. When you guest host Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, right. and you get that feedback of yeah. laughter, does that feel better or easier than doing your podcast? Where- no, I think I have, again, I have, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, and I think most things land. So I assume... You just assume everyone who's listening right now is like me slapping. I keep good, doing good it. You. People keep liking it. Good I don't for know. you.